Sleepy Hollow is a place like no other. A place where the forces of good and evil collide for the fate of the world. Prophecies foretold witnesses destined to protect us all. But will they prevail? Armed with keen insights and the ability to see into dark realms. Well, maybe. Barb and Steve help decipher The Witness Prophecies, a fan podcast dedicated to Sleepy Hollow on Fox. Welcome back, Sleepyheads. This is episode 38 of Witness Prophecies. I'm Steve, and allow me to introduce you to Miss Jenny Mills, soldier, scholar, gentlewoman, and all-around badass. And I'm Barb, and I prefer Ms. Badass. It was great to see Jenny. Today, we will be discussing the premiere, first episode, Sleepy Hollow, season four, entitled Columbia, which was written by Albert Kim and directed by Russell Fine. Great to be back with you, Steve. You know, we weren't sure, were we? No, we really weren't. And yes, indeed, it is great to be back on uh, Sleepy Hollow. And I believe all our uh, concerns and worries were probably put to rest. I certainly really, really enjoyed this episode. Yeah, I, I think it was a lot of fun. I've still seen a few things on Twitter where people are not 100% sure, but it looks like a lot of people are coming along for the ride. So I think we've got a lot to talk about here tonight, Steve. Yes, we do. So let's get started with the recap, Barb. Okay. Ichabod Crane has arrived in Washington, D.C. and has been questioned for two weeks about his work with Abby Mills. He escapes his captors, sees a copy of the Lincoln Memorial in their lair, runs outside, and finds himself standing on a runway at Reagan National Airport. The fog clears and we see Washington, D.C. He arrives at the memorial to find a decapitated statue of Abraham Lincoln and a demon, known as a debuck, attacking two Homeland Security agents. One dies and the remaining agent tracks Crane back to the underground lair after he flees the memorial in search of answers about the demon. Thus begins the relationship between Crane and Agent Diana Thomas. When the demon kills again, Diana suggests that they go to the vault and Crane recognizes the symbol from the ceiling emblem George Washington used on the letter to him, asking him to lead an organization to protect the fledgling America from supernatural phenomena. They meet Jake Wells and Alex Norwood, who oversee the vault, which contains historical books and artifacts about the secret history of America. There is hidden text in one of Benjamin Franklin's books, and they learn that John Wilkes Booth raised a demon to kill Abraham Lincoln, but the demon can be stopped by copper bullets. They lure the demon to an abandoned building, and as it is about to kill Jake, Jenny Mills arrives to blast it with the copper bullet gun. Jenny and Crane continue to mourn Abby and have not yet found the new witness to honor and carry on her work. Diana agrees to continue to work with Crane to avenge her partner's death. Meanwhile, evil Malcolm Dreyfus has his partner Job incinerate the head of Abraham Lincoln's statue with a red demonic eye blast. All that remains is a mysterious round stone tablet, apparently one of many. In the final scene, we see Diana talking to her daughter Molly, who has refused to speak for several weeks after a fainting incident at school. When Diana leaves the room, Molly pulls out a sketch pad and continues drawing another picture of Ichabod Crane. Is Molly the new witness? Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Yes, that appears to be the direction they're going. 
It does. So we're going to have to talk about that in our theories, aren't we? Our prophecies of the future. But why don't we get into some news first? All right. Well, we did have some, I'll say, decent numbers for a Friday night at 8 o'clock Central. Uh, 0.6 in adults 18 to 49 with 2.21 million viewers. Not too bad. I know we did trend on Twitter as well. So the loyal fans definitely made sure that Twitter, they knew Twitter was active. Well, that's good. We probably would have liked to seen a little bit higher, but hey, we're just starting this new ride and let's give people a chance to jump on and come along. Yes, and hopefully with all the Twitter reaction that was going on, some will come back and say, well, let me see what's going on here, because there just was way too many people really enjoying that episode. Now, of course, we were up against the premiere of Emerald City, and I know a lot of our uh, followers that decided not to continue on watching Sleepy Hollow were tweeting during that show because it showed up in our timeline. Yeah. (laughs) Well, hopefully they'll give it a chance. Yeah. So, Steve, let's get into our ratings. How did you rate this episode? Well, I gave it eight loosened brogues. Yeah. And a lot of people were like, what's a brogue? Brogue. (laughs) And I gave it eight fanboy selfies with Ichabod Crane. (laughs) Although maybe I should call him A Captain Captain Brown Brown Beard, yeah. (laughs) Linda gave it 7.5 ongoing successes of shows about real housewives. And Justina gave it 8 out of 10 Ichabod pencil drawings. Very nice, Linda and Justina. Thanks so much for the ratings. Yes. So, Steve, let's jump into it. I think we've got a new uh, team witness this year. But I think Ichabod, at least, is still with the pack, so... Yes, he is. He's going to lead this new group, that's for sure. And he's been stuck in D.C. for two weeks, being questioned by um, a man of unknown origin. It wasn't the one who he left with, and uh, we don't know anything about these people yet. So I have a feeling they're up to no good. Well, I think that's uh, pretty much a given. Yeah. (laughs) They just kind of wanted to keep him uh, under wraps. And, of course, he uses the old trick in the book. He's a friend and uh, manages to uh, knock the guy out and escapes. Before he gets out of his confinement, he does find the picture of the Lincoln Memorial. At least he recognized it. Right. He did. And it was amazing because this is all underground, and he finds a an escape hatch, shall we call it. And, you know, you see him running through the forest and then he kind of comes to a clearing and it's almost a complete remake of season one open where he runs out, he's running through grass and you see him all of a sudden stop because there's a white line and he's going, oh no. And then he decides to go on and they pull back and it's, it's not a road, it's a runway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. There goes a plane. Yeah, so that was uh, <laughs> a very nice callback to season one. and I kind of wonder, too, since uh, I'm guilty of playing buzzword bingo sometimes at work uh, <laughs> during right. meetings, right? So for any of the, those of you who don't work for a major company and haven't heard the term before, 
It's basically uh, how many times does the company leader who's talking during the meeting say a particular buzzword? How many times they do that? And you sort of count that to amuse yourself. And runway has been a corporate lingo buzzword here in the past few years. And what that means is that a person has runway. They have more life ahead of them. And so I wondered in a way if this was the writers telling us this show has more runway. It has more life ahead of it, as well as being a callback to season one, of course. Right. And I kind of got the feeling that, yeah, it, it definitely was a callback to season one, but maybe it was a little bit of this is kind of what we thought season one should have been from the beginning. So we'll just kind of have to see how this season progresses to see if that plays out. Yeah, because fog doesn't lift that fast. No, it really, no, it really doesn't. doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, before he gets out and when he does find the the picture of the Lincoln Memorial, the room that is, he finds has a little board there with pics of him and Abby and the monsters they've battled. So um, welcome to Washington, D.C., Crane. Now, as he's wandering around after the plane incident, he does spot the memorial and he heads in. And fortunately, he gets there just before our monster of the week takes out Diana. He's already taken out her partner, but he attacks it, and between the two of them, it scrims, and she holds him at gunpoint, demanding to know who he is. And he says, he's a historical advisor, <laughs> doing work for, what, the Sleepy Hollow, uh, what, police department and the FBI? Sheriff's department and the FBI, yes. <laughs> oh, like, that's really going to make an impression. He doesn't even know who she is who's holding a gun on him for crying out loud. <laughs> no. He's such a delightful, trusting soul. Yes. Now, fortunately, the monster's little prison that he was uh, contained in appears on the wall and gets Diana's attention for a brief second. And as soon as she turns around, Crane has disappeared. Yeah, I thought that the uh, green flashy light was kind of cool for the, the in and out of our monster. Yeah, I did too. Because we first see a little crack there at the back of the base of Abe. Lincoln himself. Yeah. So, of course, Crane has managed to escape and he decides he needs to head back to uh, where he was to see if there's any more information about who has taken him. And, of course, when he gets there, Diana's already there. She tracked him by the pumice and crushed oyster shells in the dirt. And he left tracks of that in his shoes, which I thought was pretty darn good detective work on her part. And he was yes, impressed he was. as well. Yes, he was. <laughs> so Diana's already started to show her uh, capabilities here very early in the episode because her boss had come and talked to her and basically told her, you can't say that what you saw happen because that'll kill your career. There are no such thing as monsters. No, well, she didn't think there were either. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it was someone we all know and love from the Heroes series. So it was good to see him again. Hopefully we'll get him involved in this too before the season's over with. Yeah, it was interesting because he is not listed in the regular cast of characters or any of the special guests here during the year. But I could see him as, you know, later down the road being some kind of a bad guy or, or as she finds out things about Crane that he could try and stifle her the way that 
Danny Reynolds' boss, Jack right. Walters, had tried. Yeah, director Wal- Walters had tried to do with Danny mm-hmm. and with Sophie. Right. Yeah. So we will have to see about that. Maybe he'll end up being a bad guy this <laughs> in this show. We shall see. Now, of course, it was absolutely hilarious. We next see that another victim gets taken by the monster who happened to be selling a lot of patriotic trinkets and American flags, American flags. He had a big hat on and everything that was red, white and blue. And apparently Diana took Crane when she went to go investigate it. But she left him in the car handcuffed to the steering wheel. <laughs> she didn't trust him to stay put. He said he only no. disappeared one time. And she said, that's 50% once, once out of twice. That's 50%. That's pretty bad. I have to agree with her. <laughs> <laughs> but he is able to uh, get in a phone call to uh, Miss Jenny. And even though it was he got her voicemail, it was still good to hear her voice. And we see just... A little bit of doubt showing up in Crane. He's kind of lost a new place again. And later on, we we hear him kind of tell Diana that, that it's always great to have someone there to kind of help you get your feet. And he was also locked up for two weeks. He really hadn't seen anything. Right. Locked yeah. up and questioned in some strange tunnel underground. So um, I'm sure he really is feeling pretty lost at this point in time. Right. Now, Diana has her little tablet there. And because she can't really come to grips with the explanation that, yes, it is a monster or a demon, she goes, well, and she kind of has this page up on her tablet that has the uh, symbol that Crane recognizes from the letter that um, Washington left him, saying that he wanted Crane to run this organization to uh, protect the country from uh, supernatural uh, attacks, shall we say. Yeah, all threats deemed otherworldly. Yeah. (laughs) And he says, yeah, that we need to go there, thinking that, all the great minds, you know, this place would be full of people, the greatest minds and everything. And they walk in. And at first it looks like it's a dump. They're just boxes piled everywhere. And Jake's sitting there just kind of half dozing off. Just like a fox molder. Yes. So, I mean, it gave you a, like a really cramped small office X-Files vibe. Yes. The forgotten archive that. If you get sent there, you weren't doing a very good job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, out of the way, kind of off to the side, because you're investigating things that no one believes. Right. And, of course, Jake goes, hmm, what do you guys want at first? And then he does a double take and recognizes Ichabod and just goes super fanboy on him <laughs> he went all fanboy <laughs> yes he did it was like wow and that was hysterical too yes it was and then he was inclined though to show them him the real vault where right. stuff really was well and that's just because alex caused an explosion oh that's true she blew up the microwave right <laughs> and so they get in there and crane kind of goes oh this really is it. 
And that was really nice. Uh, it was certainly bigger than the archives, and the archives was a nice setup. Right. But there were a lot of new things for him to explore in here. It'll, it'll be interesting to see as the season progresses whether or not he asked Miss Jenny to bring some of the things back from the archives so that they could pool all those lovely resources or not. Right, because that's going to be pre-the new vault, and then the new vault will be everything going forward because he opens up one of Franklin's books and is able to, and I love this, <laughs> decipher it very quickly, and, and you see his face light up as it comes to him. Now, I really want to know if he was seeing that or if it was just what was going through his head and he saw those in his mind's eye or were they really actually doing that? I think that he was seeing that in his mind's eye because there were, what, two or three circumstances in which words and things seemed to come off the page or magically appear. And I got the impression it was we were watching his thought process and not anything really supernatural. Right. But That's he w- what I was thinking, too. Yeah. But it was but the funny. way his face lit up was <laughs> priceless. But it was funny when he said that he was Franklin's typesetter, and then he sort of yeah. recovered himself because he's already told him there's a demon, which they don't necessarily believe, and he can't exactly tell them that he's over two hundred and fifty years old. <laughs> At least not yet. I bet Jake is the first one to find out. Uh, I agree. I think he'll figure it out, and then Crane will have to admit it. And as they dig through the books, they of course, find one that explains actually what happened to Abraham Lincoln and John Wilkes Booth. That Booth decided that he wasn't going to be able to bring Lincoln down without some supernatural help, and so he let this demon take his body. And they just rolled their eyes. Yeah. (laughs) They just rolled their eyes. Don't say it. Don't say it. He said it. (laughs) Yep. The same thing that killed your partner, Diana, was the murderer of Abraham Lincoln. President Abraham Lincoln was killed by a demon. Ah, you said it. (laughs) (laughs) And I loved how they came up with what they needed to do to stop it, because we know Crane likes Spider-Man, because we've heard those references in the past. But Jake got him with the kryptonite and... It just went right over Crane's head for a second. And not only that, but didn't he call him like Superman instead of Superman? Yeah. Superman. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, to get the demon's attention in this huge crowd celebrating America at a concert, he uh, first gets teased about his attire, which was another uh, pretty hilarious encounter with today's people oh yeah because it was so last year and it and everything is now about hamilton and we know that he would get ticked about that because last season he was ticked off that hamilton had a musical what what a musical about that guy (laughs) and now it's well you're not dressed like hamilton (laughs) there were other people involved in that (laughs) revolution founding in this country so he um starts waving his flag and singing the battle hymn of the republic Okay, that was kind of painful. (laughs) (laughs) He was better when he did karaoke with Abby. That was like, oh, oh dear. (laughs) Yeah, well, he had to be a little loud trying to make sure he got uh, the demon's uh, attention. So I'll give him a break. (laughs) Well, it worked. (laughs) Yeah. 
So the demon follows them all the way to the warehouse and doesn't come in. Oh, no. What now? And sure enough, they all go out looking for him. Why isn't he here? How'd he disappear? And he pops up behind Alex, knocks her down, knocks Jake out of the way, and is about to do the finger thing to the back of the head to Jake when Boom. <laughs> shows up Boom. in the nick of time. Yeah, she really did. And so I think it'll happen a little bit with here with uh, Jenny. It was Jenny to the rescue and how she knew where they were. I mean, I don't care. I'll hand wave it. She probably right. tra- she probably tracked Crane's cell phone. But when she said, hey, you are the best dressed demon I have <laughs> ever seen. And then she pulls up that weapon and bam, she let him have it. And, and we're like, yes, Jenny is back. That definitely was my uh, fist pump in the air moment of the episode. That's for sure. Absolutely. And it was funny because then the other folks, Diana and Jake and Alex are just like, who is this person? Right. (laughs) And that's when Crane, of course, introduced her as a soldier, scholar, gentlewoman. Yeah, she was a gentlewoman right after she nailed the demon and all around badass. And then she, of course, actually, I prefer Ms. Badass. And it was just a delight to see her there. She arrived at the right time. And this I think that was exactly what we needed at that point. So the, yes. writers, the writers did good. Yes, that was the perfect way to bring Jenny back in. It absolutely a- was. Absolutely was. And we've been promised that we're going to see more of that this season with her and her, what are we going to call it, her badassery? Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. And, I mean, she's still hurting. I mean, her sister is gone. And so here she has been in the Himalayas. She has had no luck in searching for the next witness. She's still struggling with the fact to believe her sister is gone, as she should have been struggling. But I thought, okay, this is interesting, because if Crane has only been locked up for two weeks, and Jenny has been gone for only two weeks, or thereabouts, that's not, not that much time to spend in the Himalayas. But I'm like, okay, that's fine, no big deal. But and and she should still be struggling to believe her sister is gone. She should still be in full mourning. If it literally has been two, maybe three weeks since Abby was killed, then yeah, they should absolutely still have so much Abby still in their hearts. And I think that we saw that too when Crane was in the lair and he looked at all the pictures of himself and Abby that had been taken. And so I think that was good. Yes, they they definitely showed in the episode that both of them are still hurting. Yes. And they should. Yes, and they should be. And it was definitely some good writing to make sure that they, we saw that from them. And they honored her. Yes. And what was other also nice was that Jenny then sat down and had a very nice heart to heart talk with Crane. And the backdrop of that was gorgeous with the Capitol in the background. Right. I thought they did a beautiful job on that. And then she reminded Crane that he was not alone, that the whole country is here because of him. And it was just very poignant to see them together. And it felt very natural because these two people have a chemistry and the actors don't necessarily all have that chemistry yet with each other. And I think that you can still see that in this first episode. Right. But when you see that naturalness between jenny and crane that they've brought with them here from the past three years because they've been working together it just felt really good and really nice and i think that it helped anchor the episode last night yes absolutely did and yes it was absolutely 
a very well-written discussion between the two of them. It would have helped, I think, if Crane would have been able to at least come up with something to try to give back to her because she gave him so much. Yes. With her telling him that the whole country owes you and at least he could have said yes and you're not alone either if nothing else. <laughs> yeah, I think that was the one thing that was missing. I agree, but they were just the the closeness and the just the connection that they had really came through on the screen. So Right. And then at the end we get a nice little discussion with Crane and Diana and basically he's said, yeah, well, this was only a temporary partnership and I still need to do this. And she kind of says, uh, if you think I'm just going to let whoever was responsible for killing my partner go, you're crazy. And he gives her the warning. Once you start down the path, there's no turning back. No, there's not. And I think he- he knew since Ezra Mills had told him at the end of last season and had, give, well, had given him the letter. And right. so through that, Crane knew that his mission was to come to Washington, D.C. and now to take care of the archives and run this organization. So I'm sure that at this point, he probably thinks that his place is with uh, Jake and Alex and that Diana was just happened to be there, but she's not primary. She was there. Here he's seen his first demon. He knows there's work to do. But he needs to get back to the vault now. Right. And find out what's there and find out what are the things that he needs to do. That 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 is his mission, as well as, of course, the the number one primary mission of finding the witness. Right. Yeah. So what about Diana here? She's the first of our primary new, I'll call them new witness characters. Right. Team witness. Yes. And I really liked that first conversation she had with her partner. Because, of course, they're talking about her last date, and he was one of those preachy vegans and was humming Katy Perry, and you find out that, yeah, she's anything written after 1984 is garbage as far as music goes and loves red meat, so. Oh, there has to be at least one good song after uh, 1984. (laughs) Let me think about that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that was one of those, yeah, I already like her moments. (laughs) And of course, we get some backstory from her as Crane and um, her are in the tunnels that Jacob decides to show them as well. Their uh, secret entrance when they don't want security to know that they're (laughs) coming and going. I can only imagine what Jake and Alex were sneaking through the tunnels. Yeah. But that's an interesting way to get to know someone. You've got your flashlight in front of you. You're looking for a demon. Oh, let's have some chit-chat and get to know each other. (laughs) But yeah, her and her partner were um, in the Marine Corps together, and he actually had written her cover letter or the resume to get into Homeland Security, one of the two. So he was very important in getting her to where she is today. And we do find out that she does have a daughter, Molly, 10 years old. And the first hint is that she's a troublemaker. uh, She's really smart. And you kind of start seeing a little bit of some hints there. And then we find out she 
fainted in school two weeks ago, which was when Crane was taken. And she now has transient aphasia, meaning she won't speak for any medical reason. Yeah, I looked that up, and I'm, uh, I know that we have um, good old Linda, who listens to us, is, who's usually very good at providing any medical information we might need, but at right. least from what I read, and so she can correct me next week if I've messed anything up, but this transient aphasia, uh, from what I read, it looks like it's associated with migraines quite a bit, but apparently the doctors couldn't find anything wrong, though, with Molly. Right, so they came up with that and said, oh, well, this is what it's got to be. Kind of like the weatherman. <laughs> At least in Phoenix. <laughs> Sorry, that was bad. It's always sunny here. You can't, you can't get that wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah, they said it wasn't going to snow in Dallas this weekend, and it snowed in Dallas. <laughs> so, And we do see her at the end of the episode. Diana goes home and goes in and tells her that her soccer coach was really impressed and that she'll probably be starting this weekend. and. Molly just kind of gives her a a smirk and doesn't say a word. Diana tells her she's going to get dinner ready and leaves her room and out comes another book. And camera pulls back. She opens it and there's some kind of silhouette there on the first page. She flips through a couple other pages and then the camera shoots behind her shoulder and she's got Pencil drawings of our own Ichabod. A lot of them. Yeah. (laughs) And Mama doesn't know that, because I think Mama would have just about had heart failure had she seen that. And I think she will when she does see that. Yeah. You know, one of the other interesting things about Diana, too, is that when she was talking with um, her partner, Eric Cortez, before he was taken out by the demon... She had, had said that she didn't do well with change and she doesn't like new people. Right. Oh, boy, is she going to be on a ride now? Because I think some things are going to change pretty dramatically in her life. And she's going to have a very interesting new person that she's going to have to get to know. And actually, probably not just one, but Alex and Jake as well. Yes. And I have a feeling she won't know her daughter either. (laughs) She is, I think, is in for a couple big surprises here. Yeah. This is definitely probably going to be the most difficult on her. <laughs> yes. And well, I think we're going to have a whole lot of fun talking about that in our uh, when we look into our crystal ball. Yes. <laughs> so speaking of Alex and Jake. So, yeah, Jake had that huge fanboy moment. Captain Brownbeard. That was so funny. And then, and then turning around to grab a selfie with him. I couldn't believe right. it. I laughed so hard. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. He. Complete and total fanboy. He's a he's got a fringe element to him, and I think this is going to be very very funny. The dialogue with them was just beyond humorous. Yes, because once they got Crane into the vault, and we meet Alex after she's blown up the microwave, and she thinks that Crane is just a gawker because he's just standing there, you know, with his jaw dropping, looking at all the goodies in the vault that are all around him. And so we learn that Jake is in charge of news and information. And Alex is in charge of artifacts and machines. So I think this is going to give Crane a great opportunity to interact with both of them. Oh, absolutely. The other thing that was was funny, too, is that I mean, Jake is so in awe of his Captain Brownbeard that 
when Diana's like, I don't believe in demons and Crane is going on about this in the John Wilkes booth. And, and I, I can't remember who, I don't remember if it was Diana who said, I don't believe in demons and, or if it was Alex and Jake is like, I don't either. And then Crane is, I do. And then Jake is, oh, I totally do. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> I, I think that the two of them, I really felt a real good chemistry between Jake and Crane. And so I think that we are going to have a lot of humor here and they are really going to get along. And this is going to just, I think, be a fun ride to watch the two of them together. Yes, he's a fanboy. But I think as time goes on, I think they're they're going to get really close. And that's the one thing we haven't had in the past three seasons is Crane having a a male buddy that he can identify with. Well, he did a little bit actually. No, he did with Joe um, because we, you know, right. we were, they were, we were bromancing them for a while. Right. So I think this could be his new bromance. Yep. But then on the flip side here, I think that Alex, because when they realize that they need a copper and that she had to make basically magic copper bullets, I mean, she pulled out that torch and she fired that thing up. And I can see her and Jenny working together on artifacts and machines. And because we, we know that Jenny is very much into artifacts. I mean, heck, she used to steal them for crying out loud, right? Right. And I have a feeling that those two then will begin to bond as well over some of these these commonalities, Weapons. these things that they right. like. And so I think that that will... I mean, nothing can ever take the place of Abby, but I think that that will help develop a relationship and really bring Jenny in because Crane is absolutely going to need her 100%. Yes, I do believe we will see a much more involved Jenny Mills in this season, and I'm 100% for that. Right, and I think that uh, Crane is going to have his hands full watching out over them because Alex at the end was going to be building a guillotine to test and she wanted to use Jake to test. And I thought, okay, guillotine, okay, that's going to bring us back to headless here somewhere. And poor Jake. And Crane is going to have his hands full if he's going to be taking care of those guys and helping to lead them and direct them in the great hunt for the supernatural and the otherworldly monsters. Well, and he knows he should be in charge, but when things get a little too crazy, how is he actually going to officially end up being in charge? That's a good point. That's true, because this yes. is not his department. <laughs> He's out of his element. Yeah, so, so sooner or later, Jake and Alex's boss will show up in the archives, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> exactly. So we've got new monsters, and we are on to our third tribulations, Steve. So let's talk about our uh, our new bad guys, because this is, looks like this is going to be very interesting. It sure does. Malcolm Dreyfus. Yeah, this guy is out there. Apparently, he's filthy rich. He was upset that he got a phone call during his uh, witchcraft chant. Yeah, nothing like a Johnny little cell phone tune to interrupt your uh, <laughs> your uh, woo, right? Yeah, <laughs> and making him wait for the next astral phase because he offered this guy eleven point seven times what his company was worth, and the guy, the Japanese, was not going for it. And apparently, he uh, sent Job over there to uh, take care of it. Yeah, and the guy had an accident. Hmm, what a surprise. Yeah. 
Uh, possibly uh, animal attack. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, with what we saw Job do, he gads. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently all this was Malcolm's doing because he wanted something under Lincoln's head. And apparently after getting his incantation done, he has Job, uh, he unveils the head and tells Job to do his thing. And you see his eyes glow. And then you see him reach out his hand and just pulverize it. And you go, oh, my. Yeah, those were some serious red eye laser beams. In a way, it was a little bit like, okay, what was his name with Pandora? The jerk, the jerky husband. <laughs> the hidden one. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, the jerk. I, I, you know, all I ever called him was a jerk. So, uh, yeah. A whiny one. A whiny one, yes. <laughs> And But boy, laser blast boom. And Alex had informed us that that was some very high-grade marble. So to just disintegrate that like, like that was just, whoa, this guy's got some kind of power here. And so, you, yeah. And mm. you think, where did Malcolm find him? But then when Malcolm was, sorry, licking his own blood, uh, uh, oh, this is gross. Yeah. And his hair is all over the place, and he's, Malcolm is um, a strange character. Yes, he is. And apparently being filthy rich isn't enough for him. He needs more. He's out for something. Yeah. And apparently it was, had something to do with trying to get into Crane's head, because he was the one who actually had Crane in the basement for two weeks. Yes, he did. And that is all going to kind of fit together here when yes, we talk it about it in a few moments, won't it? Yes. Yeah, we definitely uh, have a creepy baddie in Malcolm Dreyfus. Uh, still don't know what his game plan is except for collecting the nine stones and uh, what they lead to or what they open up. Did they say that it was nine? If they did, I missed that. I know that he's, they said yeah, that there I'm were a sure lot of them. Yeah, he said nine, yeah. Okay. The number he used. Okay. Yeah, so he may not have a lot of power, but apparently he's got some knowledge and has a plan for what he wants accomplished. And I like that he said time was the only thing he couldn't buy. Uh, yes. Everything else, he can buy it, but not time. So apparently he's got a time clock he's going by as well. So hopefully Crane and crew will uh, be able to delay his... Uh, objective shall we say very interesting yes it should be a lot of fun seeing that we have somebody in today's world that is bringing forth demons without even being that objective well so. this demon or this um daybuck seemed to uh be sort of a um an un unintended consequence in his uh in dreyfus's attempt to get the stone our little monster right. of the week was it really even supposed to be a real monster? Right. Well, I don't know for sure if he even knew that it was down there. Oh, he probably, I don't know. He might have and he might not have. That's hard right. to say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, apparently he did because when his man reported that Crane extinguished the demon, he says, oh, well, that was just, like you said, that was just no, a little entertainment. You know, <laughs> it wasn't the main objective. It was getting the stone. Yep. All right, so what about our Monster of the Week? 
So our monster of the week, the um, the Dibuk, and it's actually spelled D-Y-B-B-U-K, in Jewish mythology, it is a malicious possessing spirit believed to be the dislocated soul of a dead person. Now, it supposedly leaves the host body once it has accomplished its goal, sometimes after being helped, um, some kind of soul transmigration. And so this thing was actually released when Lincoln's statue's hex was broken. And when, so basically when the statue was decapitated, when, when Job or one of uh, Dreyfus's men actually got the head of Lincoln, which is what they needed, that's when the hex was broken and the monster got out. And he had some really gross hair, kind of stringy, kind of <laughs> ba- bad hair day for him. Yeah, but he dressed well. But he, oh yeah, he dressed really well. But he did kill Diana's partner. Uh, then he killed the souvenir vendor. And obviously, as we know, he did not like the stars and the stripes. He was actually John Wilkes Booth. So John Wilkes Booth tur- turned himself into this demon, this debuck, in 1865, because Booth summoned the demon into his own body. And then he attacked Lincoln and Ford's theater. And of course, the really gross part was that he the demon stuck his finger in the back of of Abraham Lincoln's head to, I suppose, make it appear that it was a gunshot wound to the back of the head, right? And I'm just oh, like, that's gross. how he kills people because that's how he killed Eric and the um, souvenir vendor. Oh, that's yeah. So or so that was kind of like, ooh, I really didn't need to see that. Yeah. But anyway, so Mary Todd Lincoln was apparently supposed to be Lincoln's uh, defender from the occult, so she tracked John Wilkes. Uh, booth down to the farmhouse, which we know isn't isn't true. I mean, he got tracked down, but it wasn't by Mary Todd. And then no. <laughs> she sealed it into this underground chamber, and that's where the Lincoln Memorial was built over the top of that to kind of provide protection to keep this demon from getting out. Right. I would say the one of the other interesting things that we learned during this uh, was when Crane and Diana saw that there was going to be a concert and people were going to be wearing the stars and the stripes, which would be bring the demon out because since he wanted to destroy America, he was going after anything with the stars and the stripes on it. Right. We saw on that little flyer that August 13th was the date. Right. And, and I thought, okay, so two weeks before that. So then that means you're telling us that Abby was theoretically killed somewhere around, you know, middle end of July. And, uh-huh. we're, and we're sitting here in August, and that's sort of our time frame now. And I thought, okay, that's a little interesting to see. They got the demon with the bullets, and he went poof, and that's it. He's gone. Bye-bye, yep. Monster of the Week. And for any of those fans who doubted that there would be a lot of monsters in this season, I think we're going to have plenty of them. I think we're going to have one every week. Yep, I think so, too. And that's And that makes me very happy. I'm fine with that. Yeah. And can you imagine how big Jake Jake's eyes are going to get when he's when he sees his first? Well, he did just see his first monster. He saw the demon, but right. some of the ones that we've seen in the past, when he sees some of yeah. those, holy <laughs> Toledo, he's going to be like, "Wow, it's all real!" Like X Files. I always knew it was real. <laughs> well, yeah. and he tells Alex, "The world just got a little bit bigger today," um, and he- she goes, "Well, all I care about is." Can I touch it? Can I feel it? Can I take it apart? Can I put it back together? That's all I care. She's not going to be want to want to touch some of these monsters, especially the ones that we've seen in the past. She may be eating her words later. Yes. <laughs>
All right. Well, we did have quite a few shout outs to Abby Mills and we loved all of it. We do miss Miss Abby as much as everybody else does, but we are soldiering on. Was that a pun? (laughs) Okay, that was bad. (laughs) Uh But they Uh, but they did that. But the writers did that to us with all the different references to Headless, right? Exactly. Like with Headless Lincoln. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, that was the first thing you thought of. As soon as you saw it, you go, oh, Headless is back. Yeah, although I got to say, when, when I saw the Headless Lincoln, and then they started talking about, you know, John Wilkes Booth killing Lincoln, and that mm-hmm. it really didn't turn out the way that you thought it was going to. I have to say, one of the things I thought about immediately, um, I'm watching the the show Timeless that is on another channel that's different from, that's not on Fox. But we have two of our own uh, GSM hosts, Doug and Karen, who are doing a podcast on this, Remaking History, yes. Timeless Podcast. And one of the episodes earlier this season had John Wilkes Booth and Lincoln and a little twistery change of its own. And I'm just sitting here thinking, yes. how much how much Abraham Lincoln are we going to get this year? <laughs> this year. <laughs> Is everybody into this or what? Yeah. When I saw that, I go, yeah, that was... Uh... An interesting uh, twistery episode of uh, Timeless, to say the least. Yes, it was. And interesting for Sleepy Hollow as well. Yes, indeed. It, yeah, the the way that we're moving forward in our history is going to be fascinating to see what they come up with. And to start with Lincoln, they're going big, I think. Well, and there's a lot. Twistery is going to be fantastic. And there's a lot in in Washington D.C. that they can choose from. There is so much history there. So yes. I, I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this. I do too. All right, shall we get into theories and prophecies? Oh, let's do it. All right. Well, do you think Little Miss Molly is Abby incarnate? Sure seems like it, doesn't it? It sure does. I. How can a ten year old be drawing pictures of Crane unless she's got? Abby in her head. <laughs> I don't know, but wasn't it interesting? Because when I watched her sketching away, it reminded me of when Abby was drawing or sketching the symbol from last season. Right. Obsessed with it. Uh-huh. And apparently, uh, Molly is obsessed with Crane. Well, considering all the number of pictures it looked like she had in her sketchbook, I'd say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know how I'm going to feel if a child is the witness, right? Because then it would seem to me that she needs to be more protected versus being a partner to Crane. This is very true, and it will be interesting to see how this plays out. If they do go this way, this will probably be the thing that will make or break Sleepy Hollow, is how they handle this. I agree. Who's the witness? Uh Uh-huh. And... Either that or or somehow Molly has some of her own supernatural ability. We saw a good witches, I'm going to call them, running in Abby and family, Jenny's yes. family, right? You know, Grace mm-hmm. Dixon. So We've seen both Jenny and Abby do some incantations of their own. Absolutely. So maybe Molly is not necessarily the witness, but maybe she's has some of this in her background and maybe it's somewhere in the bloodlines. Cause I really don't think it's going to be Diana right now. I don't think it should be, right. but again, we'll have to wait as the season progresses. Cause it would have right. been too easy. Would have made, it just would have been too simple to do that. Yeah. There's got to be something there that has got her doing this, but yeah, too simple. 
Jenny goes, well, have you met anybody? And says, well, yeah, it's too soon. It's possible, but we'll see type thing. And we'll see. Yeah. And then we've got our boy, Malcolm. All right. So I really did. I did some thinking about this one. Okay. Okay. So at the end of last season, Ezra passed on the letter to Crane. He opened it. He read it. These guys pulled up and Ezra basically said, kind of watch your back. People may not be your friends. And so here Crane gets into the the black SUVs. Right. Right with, with director Jack Walters. And off he goes to Washington and he's been interrogated for two weeks. So so clearly Jack Walters is the guy he brought Crane to DC. We knew that he had been watching Abby and Crane and getting reports on them. We knew he oh, killed Abby. Atticus Nevins in cold blood and that he was clearly reporting up to somebody else. So it sure seems to me that he was reporting to Malcolm. I think that's a very solid theory. Yep. And I think that as the season goes on, we're going to learn that Malcolm will actually be revealed as this person who has been lurking in the background for a very, very long time. And he's probably involved in some way in trying to bring a Satan-type character, I will say, to power, just the same way that Henry Parrish did with Moloch in the First Tribulation, right? Right. And we know that Jack Walters is definitely connected. He was involved with Pandora and her box in the Second Tribulation. So I think that this is going to be really interesting that we may find out that uh, Dreyfus has been behind the scenes for a long time trying to pull some strings. Right. Trying to get rid of the witnesses. Yeah, and and I don't think that they were too worried about him getting away because they need to find the second witness. I think they understand that if they if the witnesses die, the soul is going to go somewhere and get into another witness because this is going to keep cycling themselves. So I almost wonder if perhaps they're looking for a way to neutralize the witnesses, but they're going to let Crane find the witness, the next witness, because it's probably easier for Crane to find that person than it is for them to find the person, right? Right, exactly. And I think the other thing that's going to do is it's going to allow the writers to make callbacks to Sleepy Hollow's history and bring along all of us who are fans by referring back to some familiar things in the past. I think they're going to, I think that the writers will find linkage to some of the events that we have seen in the past and bring them along with Malcolm Dreyfus as the bad guy. Right. Yeah. It would be absolutely fantastic if they actually bring a lot of answers to the previous three seasons into this season. Yeah. And the other thing that I thought of too is that, you know, maybe this would even allow for us to see someone like a Sophie Foster again as a potential guest on the show uh, because she does work for the FBI, right? And yes. she may have some additional information and and the writers may or may not do that. I mean, they haven't brought any of the other characters as far as we know, but it would be nice to periodically see a familiar face. Right. Yes, it would. Yeah. <laughs> And we are going to get John Noble, so that's a pretty familiar face. Yes, we certainly are. <laughs> All right. What do you think is the significance of the stone step tablet? Um, now, that's a little tough. We don't know what they are. Are they stepping stones to some magical place? Are they runes with magical symbols or properties? Are they disks of information about the third tribulation? Are they protective barriers that Washington's early cronies, the agents that are supposed to protect the country from the supernatural, did they put them in key areas and if they're removed does that allow 
bad demons or monsters or whatever to come forth the way that the monsters could be summoned from Pandora's box. I mean, I just don't know. Right. Although the other thing I thought of here, though, was what if all these tablets could be used to neutralize the witnesses? Who knows? Right. I think we could speculate and come up with 50 different <laughs> theories and, and discard them just as quickly. It's, it's way oh, too absolutely. early to know. Yes, absolutely. We'll be interesting to find out what they are for, though. Malcolm seems to know yes. what they he, do. Yes. Yeah. He wants all nine of them really bad. Yeah. Seems to be his whole uh, driving force because he said he didn't care how much blood he had to spill to get the rest of them. No, he could care less. Although I got to say that at the end when he was holding that thing I th- and he was kind of holding it at an angle, I thought, does that look like a giant Lincoln penny to you? Because yeah. <laughs> it kind of sort of looks like one to me. Flip that over so I can see it a little better, please. <laughs> All right. So any other any other theories or prophecies? No, I said I'm excited to see where this is all going because definitely got my uh, curiosity up. Yeah, mine too. Well, one place where the writers did not disappoint, and that was on Mr. Crane and his ickyism, Steve. So what were some of our great ones from this week? Oh, we had plenty. Uh, We joined together to fight evil. Yes, demons, horsemen of the apocalypse, the ongoing success about real housewives. You know, evil. Yeah, those real housewives, they are evil, aren't they? Yeah. He's watched too much TV. We all know yeah. this. The reality TV shows are all evil. <laughs> Tis most heartening to hear your voice, even if merely an auditory reproduction. Yes, it was. It was good to hear Jenny. Yes, it was. I'm concerned about your fleeing grammar. Yeah. <laughs> to Diana. And those who ignore history are doomed to die by its bloody, hideous claws. Oh, I liked that one a lot. Uh, I don't don't think that's the way that goes. Yeah. (laughs) Sure know a lot about decapitation. I've had some experience in the matter. Yeah. Don't watch that tongue, Crane. Watch that tongue. I cannot believe this is what I'm doing. Crawling through tunnels with Mr. Downton Abbey. No offense. None taken. I rather like Downton Abbey. Yeah. <laughs> that was a nice shout out to the show. And being a good Brit, he should like Downton Abbey. Good for him. Because copper is the demon's kryptonite. Or because copper is the demon's weakness. Oh, it's the same meaning. Yeah. Like Superman. Yeah. <laughs> Just a hair second slow there, Crane. Not a fan of musicals. <laughs> yeah, and that reference to Hamilton. Not a fan of musicals. Yeah, and he was so mad about that. That was so <laughs> funny. All right. Yes, it was great to see Crane in fine form in this episode. And it looks like there we, we've got a lot more coming. Yeah, very happy about that. All right. How about our history lesson for the week? I can do that, Steve. So this week, it's going to be about America's Columbia and Washington, D.C. Why was the District of Columbia formed and why was it named Washington, D.C.? We have to begin with the word Columbia. The literal meaning of Columbia comes from the stem colum, which refers to Christopher Columbus, and the ending ia is a common Latin ending in countries' names. So Columbia's actual meaning is land of Columbus. Now, in 1738, well before the Revolution, Edward Cave's The Gentleman's Magazine was the first to use Columbia in print. The magazine published debates from the British Parliament, which was illegal. Therefore, these debates were published under the fictitious 
reports of the debates of the Senate of Lippiput. Fictitious names were given to the people and places mentioned, and the European colonies of the New World received the name Columbia. Near the American Revolution, the majority of Parliament debates directly affected the colonies, and this being the case, America became very familiar with the name Columbia, and the name stuck. Now, many people today are not aware that Columbia was once a female personification of the new America. It's important to understand that before there was Uncle Sam, there was Columbia, and she was also known as Lady Columbia or Miss Columbia. Now, ultimately, Columbia was replaced by the Statue of Liberty. While Lady Columbia was has deep roots in America's history, Lady Liberty has taken over. She was replaced by a shinier object. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Now, before Washington, D.C. became America's capital in 1800, the Congress met in a number of different locations, including Baltimore, Trenton, and New York City. Congress passed the Residence Act in July 1790, which declared that the capital of the new nation would be situated somewhere along the Potomac River and granted President George Washington the power to choose the final site. In September of 1791, the commissioners named the federal city in honor of Washington and dubbed the district in which it was located the Territory of Columbia. The name Columbia, as we know, derived from explorer Christopher Columbus, was issued during the American Revolution era as a patriotic reference for the United States, as we just learned. And then in 1871, the Territory of Columbia was officially renamed District of Columbia. And so there we are, Washington, D.C. Now today, America's capital city has more than 650,000 residents, and they are represented by a non-voting delegate in the U.S. House of Representatives. The 23rd Amendment gave citizens of D.C. the right to vote for president starting in 1964. And since 1974, Washingtonians have elected their own mayor and city council. And this information comes to us from hankeringforhistory.com, America's Columbia, a female personification, and Ask History, How Did Washington, D.C. Get Its Name? And I will include links to those articles in the show notes if you'd like to read more, because there is more interesting information about Columbia and Washington, D.C. Another fantastic job, Barb. Thanks, Steve. It's fun to be, it's fun to have history again. History twistery. Yes, we love it. <laughs> what about any feedback, Steve? Did we get any this week? Oh, yes, we did. Our bestie Justina starts us off with some written feedback that we received. Hi, Barb and Steve. It is so wonderful to have Sleepy Hollow back. There is, of course, an empty space where Abby belongs, but I think the show is honoring the space well illustrating Ichabod and Jenny's grieving process. The new location feels right. Now Ichabod can bring all he learned in Sleepy Hollow to the place where history was born. Find new clues and artifacts to fight evil in the world. I particularly enjoyed the new characters at the new archive. They are funny. I saw some similarities between this episode and the pilot of the series. A blood ritual to wake a demon a foggy roadway where Ichabod almost gets taken out, I sign to inform Ichabod where he is, a headless figure, something valuable in the head itself, a dead partner, Ichabod in a cage. I wonder if Abby's soul is inside that little girl. Something is making her draw Ichabod. Is Molly the next witness? This episode gets 8 out of 10 Ichabod pencil drawn. Yeah, those are some interesting comparisons to the original pilot episode. 
And it looks like we're all thinking the same thing. Is Molly the next witness? So very nice, Justina. Thank you. And we also got some feedback on Facebook. Miss Linda, loving the combination of Warehouse 13, X-Files, and other things on the fringe. Oh, I see what she did there. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Fringe, X-Files. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sleepy Files. Here we yeah. come. <laughs> Sleepy Files. And this transition to new characters is going to be difficult for the diehards, but I thought it was done pretty well. Love the daughter. I can see a lot of promise for the next few episodes. Yes, it should be quite a interesting ride. Yes, it should. I, mean, I also throw out a Twitter question out there, which I'm going to get more in the habit of doing on this this season. And it was, what do you think is the significance of the stone tablet? A sleepy hollow addicts got back to us and said, I think it might be missing. I think it might be the missing stone George Washington used when they broke ground. It has something to do with Freemasons and sacred artifacts. Now, I like that. That's a nice thought, too. Hmm. And then Tom Meissen fan said, excellent question. <laughs> okay, guys, give us your thoughts next time. We'll, and yeah. we will read them on the air. We'd love to hear from everyone. Really excited that we did get some, uh, some answers this week because we know we've got a very short turnaround time. So thank you very much and keep your eyes peeled. Yes, we do appreciate it. We want to welcome all our new followers on Twitter as well as Facebook. And thanks for all the retweets, favorites, and interaction. And we got a lot of it. This week's shout-outs go to Janina Gavakar, M. Raven Metzner, Plexa, Tracy, Linda, Julie Gilbert, Alan McKay, Dada, Bob, Michelle McKeever, Sleepy Hollow Attic, Joyce Williams, Debbie Land, Danny, Vera Hines, Key Bones, Joe Webb, one of our Sleepy Hollow writers, Deb, Justina, and Tom Meissen fans. Now, how can they get a hold of us, Barb? Well, there are a number of ways and they can get in touch with us, Stephen, and participate. Our voicemail number is 304-837-2278, or you can go to the goldenspiralmedia.com feedback page where you can use the SpeakPipe widget on the side of the page to record audio. You can also typey-typey out your feedback on the form, and you can even attach audio feedback. Our feedback deadline is Saturday, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, so that's a real tight turnaround time for everyone. So. Please do your best to send something, and we really do want to hear from you. We'll also take old feedback as well, weak old feedback. Uh, you can also get in touch with us on Witness Prophecies on Facebook. For Twitter, we are at Witness Prof GSM. Steve is at Sal, you're Steve, and I am at Tangier14. All right. We've come to that time in the podcast where if you don't want to be spoiled about upcoming episodes, Run, run like you're wearing a shirt containing the stars and stripes on it and the demon is after you. All right, let's talk visions of the future. Episode 4.2, Evil Lurks in the Most Unlikely Place on an all-new Sleepy Hollow, Friday, January 13th. Ooh, a Friday the 13th. Ooh. After a big discovery, Crane and Jenny struggle with breaking some difficult news to Diana. Meanwhile, the team learns that there may be witchcraft involved in a new case. Can Crane find a way to tell Diana what he knows? Find out in an all-new Plain Sight episode of Sleepy Hollow. Uh Uh-huh, so Uh maybe they find drawings first. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. It could be her. It might be. 
The episode was written by Brian Q. Miller and directed by Mark Roskin. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, that's going to be interesting to find out if uh, that's what they're talking about. Yeah, it could be. Yep. Definitely a possibility. It is indeed. And if it is, then we'll find out relatively quickly, it sounds like. Yeah. Okay. Episode 4.3. A familiar villain heads to D.C. on an all-new Sleepy Hollow Friday, January the 20th, when one of Crane's greatest foes comes to town to threaten the safety of Washington's highest officials, the team must work quickly to find a solution. Jake's extensive knowledge of the tunnels becomes an important piece of the puzzle as they uncover a secret from the past that could lead to answers in the all-new Heads of State episode. Now, I think what is interesting in here, first of all, is the title, Heads of State. Yes. <laughs> I got I, I to gotta be thinking that perhaps we're going to have Headless come riding into town when that freak him out. Although I can't yeah. see him riding in town in the tunnels. So who knows? Yeah. The other yeah, thing. Having a headless with a machine gun in D.C. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, the other interesting thing here is uh, finally, we're going to see Benjamin Banneker, who played a significant historical role in the founding of the nation and Edwin Hodge is going to be playing this character. And I think that was something that I said in our, our kind of pre season four episode here about a week, two weeks ago that I had not been able to find anything about him. And then this had popped up. So I think this is going to be a lot of fun for us. Yes. Especially seeing that the episodes written by M Raven Metzner. Absolutely. (laughs) This is going to be a good one. Yes, it will. All right, episode four, The People versus Ichabod, Crane. Despair comes for Crane on the all-new Sleepy Hollow, Friday, January 27th, when a monster fashioned to make its victims live out their most personal and haunting memories hits D.C. The team must find its weakness to save one of their own. Meanwhile, Jenny forms an unlikely bond that could be important in saving the world. Can the group prevail against one of the most insidious monsters yet? Find out on the all-new People vs. Ichabod Crane. Interesting. And we get guest John Noble. Hot diggity dog. That will be fun. That monster must have gotten into um, Crane's brain. Yeah, and we have one other guest star, too, that I think is going to make people very happy. Grace Dixon is going to be back as well. Yes. So this is going to be a lot of fun. This is going to be a real interesting monster. Yes, it is. I wonder if it's going to be one that Malcolm is going to control or not. That will be even more interesting to find out. Yes. And then we've got a whole bunch of titles. And this is actually unusual. We have the title for Every single episode this season, they're usually not revealed this early, so I was a little surprised by this. Yes. Episode five, entitled Blood from a Stone. Six is Homecoming. Seven is Loco Parentis, Latin for in the place of a parent, refers to the legal responsibility of a person or organization to take on some of the functions and responsibilities of a parent. Hmm. Mm. Hmm. What, I, I wonder, it's going to be Daddy Dearest for Crane, maybe. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> could be. Number eight is Sick Burn. Episode nine, Child's Play. That might happen to be the episode that I mentioned in the preview, where we have the child that draws pictures of monsters that come to life. Yeah, the title certainly sounds like it. 
Yes. Episode 10 is Insatiable. Hmm. Hmm. 11 is The Way of the Gun. 12 is Tomorrow. And episode 13, the season finale, is entitled Freedom. Wow. Interesting (laughs) titles, that's for sure. Very interesting. And we don't have the dates on them, so we don't know if these are going to run straight through and end in April, I think, by my calculation, or if we're going to have any breaks in here. We really don't know the schedules of that yet. Yep. I imagine we'll probably have one or two weeks off before we get to the end. I have a feeling they'll probably try to get this around the May sweeps, maybe, depending on how the numbers go. Right. But they also know that irritated people get with breaks. So, yes. (laughs) So, yeah, we'll see how this pans out. You know, last year we ended in April, we ended earlier, but of course it was a full season. So, we'll see what they do this on this go round. All right. Please review and rate us on iTunes with good ratings and reviews that help other fans of the show find us as there are other Sleepy Hollow podcasts out there. To subscribe in iTunes to any GSM podcast, go to goldenspiralmedia.com slash iTunes. Tell your friends and we hope you're enjoying our podcasts. This is Steve and she helped me find my feet even as she was finding hers. She was the best. And this is Barb signing out. And I like the dreams of the future better than the histories of the past. See you next week, sleepyheads.